or delightful lately, hasn't it? But you've come to the right place, I can assure you. So, go ahead. Wash your teeth, brush your face, have a cozy sit-stand or lie down, and close your eyes wide awake. Because I've got a story to tell you. A Lunar Eclipse and the Man on the Moon Alistair grew up in a time when the moon pooled and released the tides, as we all did and most still do. And at night, the moon would hover, its craters and pockmarks blanketed by the white light that enveloped it. On clear nights, that is to say nights where the darkness was so pure that even the tiniest of celestial specks gleamed their little pokes of light in full, Alistair would lay on his back in a field and gaze up at all that he knew so little about but was so comfortable under. On some clear nights, he would be alone. On others, he would have company. One particular night brought Alistair together with his cousins. Mandy, who was close to Alistair in age and resembled him in Cromlean fashion, saving the distinct mustache, which at the time Alistair himself, who was barely scraping his early adulthood, showed only the vaguest of shadows. And little Benny, who was little and held the full name of Benjamin. The three gazed up, and on the grass blanket beneath them, they talked of all things lunar, what they knew and what they assumed. Drawing in breaths of absolute night, scented with the pureness of the dew that would soon come, and underscored by a subtle but charming symphony of talented crickets, they spoke of the craters, of the tides, and how exactly they assumed the moon conducted the oceans. And little Benny talked of the man on the moon, and how he assumed he played the banjo. And they wondered what that man ate, and what he drank. It was Alistair who assumed he ate from the contents of the craters, and it was Mandy who assumed he drank the light, and that that made him glow in the dark. And little Benny asked, as young ones with shortened names tend to do, why if the man on the moon glowed in the dark, one could not see him. And Alistair answered, as one must do when young ones ask, that it was because everything around the man was glowing. If the man on the moon wanted to be seen, he would have to stop sipping the light, and that would kill him. Now why one would answer someone so young in such dramatic fashion is still in question. The answer is lost somewhere in that darkness, in a chasm too deep and unchanneled that even a night filled with all the universe's shining stars sheds far, far too little light. And little Benny to his young heart's credit, did not cry, did not even sniffle. Instead, he partook in the awkward pause that all three were now quietly breathing. <laughs> 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 
And who tossed first is anyone's guess, for not one of them had the same answer. But someone threw first. Someone threw a stone for no other reason than that pause was all-encompassing and threatened to swallow them in eternal awkwardness. And the stone collided with the wall of silence and cracked its hardened shell. And quite suddenly, as though the crickets had worked them into a frenzy through premeditated crescendo, they were all throwing rocks with all their might at the moon. Not at the man, and not at the light. At the moon. And though it was never said aloud, they all mused inside their heads that their throws made craters, and that their craters erupted in additional brightness, and that they were responsible for the moon changing hue. Not one of them, giggling loudly, thought of the glowing man on the moon, who most certainly had dropped his banjo and was frantically seeking cover in a land lacking trees and ledges, but currently raining rocks. And though no one would ever know the first throw, all would forever remember the last one. It was little Benny's. His little face beamed, his little arm wound back and released a small stone in a toss just barely strong enough to clear the length of his body, but lost in the night. And if either Mandy or Alistair knew enough at the time, they would have had the proper answer. But neither knew that as that small stone left little Benny's tiny hand, a lunar eclipse was underway. And if there was some light to shine on that night, one would have seen that the stone landed mere inches from Benny's little feet. But there was no light. So, instead, the stone disappeared into night and destroyed the moon. And little Benny screeched in a pitch killed crickets. The moon was reduced to barely a sliver, a sliver that turned blood red. No one knew what to do. In moments like those, two things can happen. Shock sets in and one can scream bloody murder, or one can stare straight ahead with mouth agape. Little Benny continued in the former, while Alistair and Mandy partook freely of the latter. How do you explain such feats? How do you tell a child that they did not destroy a bright new world when that world floats broken before you and the stone that last flew toward it was released from that child's own tiny hand? The sliver bled and barely hung on its own, and you will have to pardon Alistair and Mandy for they did not think of the glowing man on the moon, nor of his banjo. For they were more concerned with the loss of the moon. Of the tides, they knew very little in retrospect, but what they knew was enough to understand that the tides were important, and that the moon conducted those. Thusly, if by only tidal standards, the moon was important too. So their concern lay only in the moon. Here, little Benny differed from them. For when someone finally spoke, it was Benny, and what he said was a question. The words collected to form this, do you think he's all right? And in their barely adult knowledge, Alistair and Mandy lacked a believable answer. But there remained a sliver of moon, 
and it was possible that the glowing man, and yes, even his banjo, were on that sliver. So that is what they told little Benny. And though the young one wanted so badly to believe, he could not for certain do so. And the elders of the moment could not properly support a sway to certainty either. So what they did next was follow Benny's lead. He knelt in earnest. So too did Mandy and Alistair. He folded his hands. So too did they. And he prayed. He begged. And they prayed. And they begged. For safety. For the man and his banjo. And if it be a choice of one or the other, to please, please spare the man and help him one day find a new banjo. Benny closed his eyes. And so too did Mandy and Alistair. And when they opened their eyes, and what is true for both cause and effect and question and answer, that they many times just come to you, the moon beamed forth and full once more. The moon beamed forth and full once more.